Enjoying these episodes? Give us a shout out on social at Built On Air. We'd love to hear your comments and suggestions. So drop us a like and be sure to subscribe to catch new episodes when they release. It helps us keep the podcast going. Welcome to Built On Air, a podcast and video series about all things Airtable. In this episode, Andy Cloak joins us to show off his excellent Airtable app, DataFetcher. True to its name, DataFetcher allows Airtable users to manually or automatically import data from any number of APIs directly into their bases. Andy talks about the development process for such a useful app and all the challenges that came with, such as making a wide release app flexible enough to work for most users. He did so by implementing a robust user interface, which entailed anything from combining multiple pre-made components to creating his own page navigation system. We get a guided walkthrough of how one could set up the app, as well as some examples of the app's implementation. Speaking of wide releases, DataFetcher is now available on the Airtable Marketplace so you can try it out yourself. Good afternoon. Hey, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Happy to be here. It's always great to have um, another developer. You have recently come out with a new custom app for Airtable that's available on the marketplace called DataFetcher. And I wanted to learn a little bit more about how you came to make such a project and then we'll demo it later so everyone knows what it does. Yeah, sounds good. Um, my background, yeah, is like front-end development. So I've done quite a bit of web and native stuff uh, like React and React Native. Um, which is what Airtable development used. So I'd had some experience with some of the technologies, um, but then kind of start of last year, when they opened up the, the blocks um, contest, um, which I expect most of your listeners know, but for anyone that doesn't, like Airtable launched all their apps originally, um, stuff like the chart app and stuff like that, but then kind of hinted they were gonna open it up so any developer could get involved and make uh, apps for the platform. Um, so kind of the middle of 2020, they did this contest um, and basically said, um, create your app, submit them to us. Um, I believe you made an app. Um, and I did. Yeah. Um, we talk about that here. <laughs> so I was a little bit, little bit late to the party. So I found out about the, the apps contest just after that, um, mm. and saw an app on Google Sheets, an add-on on Google Sheets called API Connector, and that's where I got the original kind of inspiration for Data Fetcher. Um, and yeah, this this add-on API Connector. Um, is basically a way to run API requests within Google Sheets. So it's for sort of semi-technical people and technical people that know how to work with API requests, but want to, rather than use a tool like Zapier or like write a script and host that script somewhere, which is a bit of a faff, want to do that all kind of within uh, the, the existing platform they're using. So I thought, why not make that for Airtable? Um, so I kind of took a lot of inspiration from that app without copying it too much. Um, copied quite a bit from like the Postman UI, if you've ever used, uh, uh, tool like API tool like Postman, and basically worked with Airtable's like brand new blocks SDK to build the app, um, and then submitted it uh, kind of September last year. And then there was quite a lengthy review process to basically um, answer a load of questions that they had and a load of design feedback and security questions. And then we went live in November, so mid-November. So it's been live on the kind of marketplace for like two months now. Great. So in the background for developing custom apps, you can develop your own and then handle your own distribution. And that's kind of done on an installation by installation basis. But to your point, if you want to release it to the marketplace, Airtable does have a review process that 
depending on the complexity of the app, can take a while. Data fetcher is fairly complex, I would say. Um, when I was playing around with it, there is a lot of UI, um, and there kind of has to be because there's a lot of different um, settings that one can configure, and that's what makes it such a great app is that it's so flexible. You said you'd done things in React before. Uh, had you had experience using um, UI frameworks in the projects that you had made, similar or you know, even different from Airtable's UI framework? Uh, yeah, I've used stuff like um, Material UI, which is like material design implementation mm -hmm. open source uh, for like web projects. So I'd used that one. I've used like uh, Bootstrap like a couple of years ago, and yeah, some kind of UI frameworks like that. And then uh, doing React Native stuff, I'd use like a bunch of like pre-built components for that. Um, I think the Blocks SDK is the first time I've like, used one that's so tied to a specific platform. And so mm. you've got like a bunch of components that only make sense in Airtable. So things like like record viewers and field pickers and stuff like that. Um, but I've got to say, like particularly for like how early on it is, the SDK is really really good. Like when you're developing the app, even like yeah, the fairly complex one like Data Fetcher, there's not like there wasn't really any times when I had to worry about building comp like UIs from scratch. Like you'd always just use the off the shelf stuff. So you basically worry about like doing UX and kind of do some wireframes and stuff like that, um, and then just use the off-the-shelf stuff. So that was really nice. Um, I think the other thing that was quite complicated that is kind of an open problem, really, in app development is basically navigation. So where you've got multiple different screens like that um, within an app, which Data Fetcher has, uh, as we'll see in the demo, like navigate, tracking the state of which screen you're on, uh, which you get, you know, like a browser does for you when you develop for the web. You kind of have to build that system yourself. Um, so being able to put parameters on, on different screens and stuff like that. Um, so that was quite like an interesting problem. I may, I've built basically like a navigation system that I might look to kind of open source in the future, specifically for Airtable. That's awesome. I, I have apps as well that have multiple different, I'll call them pages. I mean, it's, it's not like building a website where each individual page has its own URL so you can easily get to it. I think the way most of us do it is by handling what the user sees using a state variable. Mm -hmm. And uh, the way I've done it is pretty rudimentary. Um, I would be very interested to see how other people have managed that problem. Uh, so far, I haven't had too complicated uh, visuals in my apps, but I can see in the future the need for a more robust system yeah definitely i think i definitely started the same way with just i had like three screens and then as i added um the ability to go like back i needed suddenly needed a stack so it wasn't just what page am i on it was what page am i on and what pages have i previously seen so that the user can go back through them so it was, it was doing that and then also you have uh, a history yeah like a navigation stack yeah what <laughs> <laughs> that's cool i have yeah. i've done before i've had um one state variable called current page or something and then a, a regular variable that's a number of pages so it'll loop through and create buttons so this button is tied to this number page and then that's how people navigate but there's no back button you know. Yeah, no, it was, it was actually one of Airtable's like recommended like UX improvements was to have 
this ability to go back from a certain, I think it was like the settings page or something. Mm -hmm. um, that's that's why I added it originally. And then suddenly I, um, initially I, I had like two and I was like the previous one and the current one. And then mm -hmm. I realized that when you went beyond that, you got into this kind of infinite loop and I needed to go you know, all the way back through. Um, so it was doing that and then doing like uh, parameters as well. So if you're mm -hmm. on a specific like saved API request in Datafetcher, that's got like an ID that maps to a backend one so that it can pull down the config. And so it needed, when you clicked from the home screen to that page, it needed to pass that ID to the, to the navigation parameter. Mm -hmm. Just, that's what I mean by complicated. <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> it's generally the case that all apps for Airtable are built to do one thing, essentially. So your app is going to pull in data from one or more API requests. That's doing one thing, but there's so much that goes into doing that particular thing. And we'll see in a moment when we walk through DataFetcher um, and how it works. Uh, when you developed it, is it just yourself or do you have a team behind you? No, it's just me, yeah. Um, wow, okay. Cool. Uh, I think that's, yeah, I quite like working independently and being able to kind of make the design decisions and then like, go build it as well. Um, mm -hmm. And I think although it's complicated for an Airtable app, there's only like so complex, like I guess like an, an extension to like an app can, can be really. So like I think it's worked quite well to just have one person on it. So. Sure. Um, because it's in the marketplace now, that means anyone with a pro level or higher tier workspace in Airtable can add it to any one of their bases. That could be a lot of people. How do you handle uh, support requests that might come in? Yeah, um, I've been pleasantly surprised by how few, like how little support I've had to do. So I'd say it's probably mm -hmm. a few minutes a day five, 10 minutes a day. Some days, maybe it's half an hour, helping people out, going back and forth over email, trying to help mm -hmm. them get like a, an API request set up. Other days it's zero. Like the last three days, I haven't had anything. Um, oh, okay. So actually it's not been too bad. Um, I think the advance, I've put quite a bit of effort into like a help center. And when people sign up, I send send them this kind of email that says like, "Have you are you having any issues? Let me know if you are. Here's a link as to like, to the help center, how to create like a basic request. Um, mm -hmm. So I think I'm not hundred percent, but I think that's, putting a fair bit of effort into documentation has kept that down. Um, but I still get a few a few people that um, yeah, need a very specific thing. And like, that's been really helpful for feature development as well. So just having people that are like, oh, does it do this yet? Or how would I do this? And like most of them I hadn't even thought about as a use case. So like definitely at the moment, support's quite nice in a way because it's the, the easiest way to do like user research without mm -hmm. having to do loads of like uh, kind of, uh, proactive outreach to to like people using Airtable. Yeah, well, that's nice um, that it's so that you've designed your app so well that most people can uh, install it and kind of look around and see uh, how best to set it up, and then it working without a hitch. What was the troubleshooting process before you? sent it off to Airtable to be reviewed. Did you have like people try it out or was that um, you just on your own testing and testing and testing until it was right? I, so I didn't do loads of validation with, with Airtable users and actually validate and get people to, to test it. Um, the way that I kind of validated was the Google Sheets add-on that I mentioned has like a hundred thousand users. 
um, mm-hmm. like really is. So I kind of, I sh- kind of just took that as validation that like this problem exists in not that Airtable and Google Sheets are exactly the same, but they're fairly similar for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. So I kind of took that as the validation. Um, and then the UX, yeah, as I said, like I copied quite familiar like API clients like Postman and stuff like that um, and tried to replicate how they handle setting up API requests. Um, so that was that was basically how I, how I troubleshooted. Um, I think Airtable's UX feedback then was really helpful. Um, so there was like, it took about a month to develop originally. And then it was like a two month process of their review, like their comments and stuff. And they gave me loads of design feedback as to even simple stuff, like which buttons should be primary, like call to action and which should be secondary and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. They actually really helped with making it really easy to use. Like I think like throughout it, so well, the whole product, like you can see the UX is pretty strong. Right. And so they clearly had like some, some pretty good people like doing the app reviews. Um, so that was really helpful. I think that's like one of the biggest advantages of like building on the app store at the moment. Yeah. Um, I, I would say one of my favorite things about developing for the uh, Airtable community is because the apps SDK has all of those pre-styled components in it. It just, once you build one app that kind of fits the scheme, building your next app is going to be super simple because you have a general idea of, this is how much margin I want to put around this type of thing. It's it's fairly standard. And so um, at the end of the day, you'll be able to come up with uh, in your line of apps, if you ever make more than one, uh, a visual style to it that's pretty recognizable and still fits within Airtable's design scheme. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I think the, the, the individual screens and stuff like that are, are kind of the easy part, the hardest it is coming up with what are the features that, that matter to the users and particularly with Airtable where I think because my thing's quite a technical product, most people that use Airtable are kind of no coders and don't necessarily want to do a lot of, of the like technical setting up themselves. So now I'm kind of, of, of deciding like which way do I go with the features? Do I try and go more towards like a no code, like recipe type UI or do I keep it for this like subset of people who know quite a bit of what they're doing already um so that's i think that's the stuff i'm finding more challenging at the moment rather than the actual design that is a interesting problem to have how how many features do you want included in your app and how do you frame it uh that's something i hadn't really considered mostly because the apps i've made thus far have been kind of uh more geared towards anybody something that's not particularly technical in the first place but that is an interesting idea if you're continuing on with data fetcher there's a great many number of things you can do with fetching data from an api and how do you handle the user input like you're saying you can make it a uh, recipe based where it kind of asks for a, f- a few details maybe, and then the app figures out what other settings to put in, but that's more complicated from your end and might limit flexibility. It's, it's an interesting balancing act. Definitely, yeah. There's a lot of like adjacent problems as well. So you've got the APIs, but then you've got like webhooks or um, querying like a Postgres database and important data from there and stuff. And so there's all sorts of different directions it could go, which is, really exciting and I'd love to do all of them, but it's, I think with anything like this, it's prioritization and not messing up the simplicity of the UI at the moment. 
Um, yes. It's hard, yeah. You want to avoid that feature feature creep, I guess. Also, as you said, you're one person. <laughs> yeah, there is that. So, you know, not to give yourself extra headache when you don't want to. And then there's nothing worse than having an app that works and then going to add another feature and then realizing down the line that new feature breaks something in the original app and then opening a Pandora's box of another round of development. So, yeah, it's also difficult to test quite a bit of it, like the front end at the moment. Um, yeah. Blocks SDK assumes it's running in here table. And so you can't really add a lot of like automated tests for that stuff. Um, so I think the answer to that is just manual testing and having a, mm-hmm. every time you do an app submission, having a, a playbook that you run through. Um, but yeah, until that, I think they're working on it, but until that ability to add like kind of end to end tests of the, the UI, like it's, yeah, you've got to kind of keep things as simple as you can. Yeah. Um, you can only run uh, the development mode for a custom app on the browser, which is a unfortunate limitation because I've realized uh, this is really minutia, but there's uh, certain things that will just work automatically because they were figured out by Firefox and Chrome and Safari in terms of handling CSS and styling that don't exist in Airtable's native desktop apps. Uh, For instance, if you were going to use the gap property on grids or flex boxes, they won't work. Uh, So you have to do with the margin, negative margin workaround. Just, it's a headache that I didn't realize was a thing because you can't develop uh, on the desktop apps. You have to release them and then check there and then go back. Yeah, I'll be honest, I've never checked data fetcher in the desktop app. So I I forgot they existed. <laughs> I, I don't actually use the desktop app. I just use um, Airtable in the browser, and but one of my clients does. They only use the desktop app and they were like, hey, it, you know, the these two boxes are running up against each other. Is it supposed to look like that? And it's not. And yeah. I had to go back and I couldn't for the life of me figure it out and it doesn't support uh a particular CSS property. So, you know, just a note to anyone else developing apps to, to test everywhere. Yeah. The one nice thing on that though is that no one's using apps on mobile. And so yes. with a lot of web development, you've actually, you've got quite a bit of real estate to play with in terms of like screen size. You can even set a minimum app size before it shows that full screen message. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think actually that, because w- normally when you do web development, right, you've got, your mobile design, you've got your desktop one, and then you've got a sliding scale in between the two. Yeah. And you've kind of got that a little bit with like the full screen app mode and the sidebar one, but like it's still a lot less flexibility. And so it's actually quite nice as the development goes in terms of having to do implement two different designs. Like you, you just do a desktop version. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't even want to think about adjusting features and what the code does in the background to handle the difference between an iPhone and an Android, if necessary. You know, if, if they ever make cut, um, apps or custom apps available on mobile devices, that would be great for end users, but it'd be a massive headache for, uh, yeah. you know, some developers like myself who don't know how to uh, do mobile app development. But, you know, we'll see. I think it's unlikely. I think people are still waiting for like 
Kanban and stuff in the mobile apps. Yeah, I mean, a little I don't think that'll come if it ever comes for quite some time. So we're safe for now. <laughs> Um, so why don't we take a look at data fetcher? Sure, let's do it. So yeah, the base I'm going to show you is kind of like a analytics dashboard. So this is actually the data for Airtable or the paid subscribers. Uh, so we didn't really touch on that, but the app is basically like a freemium model. So you can make like a hundred requests a month, API requests a month on the free plan, and then if you want to make more than that, or you want to schedule a request to run in the background rather than you manually running them. Uh, that's a paid paid feature. Um, uh, you, so you upgrade through the through the website. Um, so yeah, this is, I'm pulling in the customer data from Stripe, which I'm using for billing. Uh, make sure there's no email addresses or anything that would identify anyone in here, but we've just got the subscription amounts and some dates and stuff. Um, yeah, so we can see here we've got the amounts, the date of the subscription being created, status, um, and then the plans um, and the way I'm getting this data is using the app so if I open up the data fetcher app so I land on this home screen which is a list of like all the API requests that I've previously saved and so we can create a new one using this create button here or we can go to one that I've saved before using just clicking on it um, and then we can see all the details of it here so this is what you mentioned. It's a fairly complex UI as the table apps go. Um, but essentially we've got the ability to set up all the different bits that you'd want for an API request. So we've got a name to save it against. We've got a URL and then we can set headers, parameters, um, and a body for the API request. Um, so here to hit the Stripe API, we need to set like an authorization header. Um, so we, I've got like a variable saved in Airtable that lets me do that. Um, we then say, when I go and get this API request, when I make this API request, which table do I want to put that data into? So we've got a table picker there that lets me say, I want the subscriptions table um, and a view. And then we can say, how do I want that data to update the table? So maybe I just want to add new records every time I make the API request, or maybe I want to update the actual data that's in there already. Uh, we can then set a schedule. So it's like a paid feature. So we can say, make this API request every hour, on the hour, every few days, or every day, every week on particular days. Um, and then we've got this field mapping. So this basically says, how do I want the data that I've got coming back from the API to like map to the table? Um, so for each field that comes back, and if we look at the Stripe API docs, these are all different fields. So there's quite a few. Um, we then choose like which ones we want to keep, which ones we want to filter out and how that should map to the table. Um, so if I run this now, you can see it makes the API request, and then it updates the data in the table. And we can see then three new ones came in in the end. Um, so this is obviously just one example, but we can put pretty much any REST API in here. Uh, so a couple of things I didn't mention, there's also pagination. So um, most APIs won't give you all the data in one go. They'll let you go through it like page after page. So we can actually set that up and say uh, the type of pagination that it uses, how many pages I want to fetch, or just fetch everything until nothing comes back from the API. Um, and that lets us basically pull, you could see when the API request then that it ran like three times, um, and that pulled in like 10 subscriptions at a time. Um, so that's the basics of like making an API request with data fetcher. Now that we've got all this subscription data in base, 
uh, we can do some kind of analytics and stuff like that on it. Um, so we can see at the bottom here, we've got a sum of all the subscriptions each month. So that gives us like the MRR of the app. Um, we can also link it. So Stripe have another API endpoint called products that lets us fetch like all the different plans that people might subscribe to. Um, so using Data Fetcher again, I've pulled in all the different products here with their IDs and their names. Um, and then we can actually link those two things. So subscriptions are linked to plans and the app, uh, the Data Fetcher app when it runs and pulls in new data, it's gonna create those links and update those links for us. Um, by doing that, we can then add roll-ups. So I can see how many subscriptions have I got on each of the plans? And then how much revenue can I attribute to each of the different plans? Um, so yeah, that's the kind of basics. Those are like the two things I've looked at um, for this dashboard so far. And then using all that data that we've got pulled in here and it's coming in each hour, I've then use the scripting app to create some metrics using that data. Um, so I've got a script here that basically goes through each day, really complex script, goes through each day and basically creates a metric for each historical date. So I've got what was the monthly revenue at that point, how many subscriptions did I have, and then dividing one by the other, how much revenue does each user create. Using this table, we've then got the chart app that if I full screen this, shows us all those metrics over time. So I don't know if you've ever seen tools like uh, Beer Metrics or Chartmogul, those kind of SaaS analytics platforms, but like this is kind of a fairly lightweight version of those, but all set up using free apps. Um, so we've got all these metrics over time. And then there's one more feature that I think is worth mentioning, which is the ability to basically run an API request using some of the data like in your table. So using the data fetcher UI, you can basically insert a reference to the table. So this API is for like getting stock prices. Um, and the way that it works is you, you hit this kind of base URL and then you put in a ticker here. So like a stock ticker. Um, and the way that this works is, so you'd put in like, Apple or whatever. I've got a table with a like a load of those tickers set up here. So I can basically say, use that table, pick the ticker field, click confirm. And then that's now got a reference back to the table. So when this runs, it's gonna like dynamically insert that ticker value into the URL and run an API request for that. Um, so obviously there's a bunch of different use cases for this, uh, but this one is basically but each row, each record in the table, go and get the stock price for it and, and bring it back and then update that record. Um, so we set it there in the URL and then in the advanced sec settings, we say run it on multiple records. So don't just run one request, run it on each. And then if I run this, we should see these prices here, they update. Um, so just for kind of the purpose of the demo, it's basically linked that the MRR number and said, how many shares could I buy with the um, with the current like monthly revenue? Um, so yeah, that's the basics. I think one thing I found with with the app is that the use cases are really wide, like really varied. Um, so I've seen people getting crypto prices, um, getting their uh, timesheets from 
Clockify and other time tracking software. Um, seen people pulling in like properties from Hostfully. Like they're, they're really, yeah, really just broad use cases. Um, and so, yeah, hopefully that gives you a, a flavor of some of the stuff you can do with it. It does. And it was also a nice demonstration of, we said earlier that apps usually are designed to do one thing. And it was a good demonstration of how you can use multiple apps together to uh, create a, a full dashboard. So pulling in data, using data fetcher, um, doing a brief run of a script to kind of consolidate your data together, and then a chart app to display it visually. Yeah, thanks a lot. Yeah, I think that's that's a nice thing about Airtable at the moment, particularly the script app. I've really noticed that recently. They're like, you can do anything basically within there. Like there's really no limit. Like it's, I think like, when you've got that ability to add custom code, there's really like very little, like you can't just do with a little bit of technical knowledge. Yeah, it was. it's a nice added feature. Um, last year, 2020 was a lot of different features added to Airtable that uh, dramatically increased its usability overall. Um, and recently they've added scripts as a thing you can get from the marketplace. So even if you yourself are not um, comfortable coding in JavaScript, there's a chance that you could just go on the marketplace and there's already a script that does what you were looking for. So that's nice. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, I think um, when I've got a few more examples like this, I think I'd like to yeah, like put the scripts on the, the script template marketplace. That would be cool. Um, it would be. Um, do you mind going into one of the settings for um, any one of them? Sure. Yeah. When I said complicated UI, uh, just as an example, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, in the URL uh, field, there is a button that's overplaced on the right hand side, right? So you're combining two components essentially in the same visual space to augment the functionality of a simple single line text field yeah yeah so there's a an icon including a tooltip a tooltip and then uh that brings up a modal um yeah there's no actually i think the one missing ui piece at the moment is like a nice tabs component so you can use these yeah they don't really get the tabs below don't really link to the the switch like that nicely yeah Um, so i think that would be but that's probably the only one i've noticed there they're missing but yeah there is there is quite a lot going on on this UI. Same with these rows here. Um, we've got that same button again, and then we've got um, ability to take them off here. And to add and remove. And then this parameters updates the other one dynamically. That was really fiddly today. Um, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> okay, when I have guests scheduled for the podcast and they're demoing a product of some sort, I always check it out ahead of time. I didn't even notice this could do that that's so cool and useful thanks wow all right um i think this is a great example of a custom app that um seems to have thought of everything and you've just you've just got a lot of nice things going on there in terms of ui i'm i'm a particular fan of of good UI. So as a sticky footer at the bottom 
um, like we're seeing where your back save and run buttons are. That's super nice. Um, like I said, the overlaying of a button on top of an input field so you can add variables. That's very nice. Yeah, I've copied a lot of Airtable's stuff. So like, for example, this one, when you create a quest, request, it highlights the name field and then you can fill mm -hmm. that out. And like that straight from their automations feature or like when you create like a new table base or something like that. Yeah. It it so you don't have to like focus it and stuff. But I, I, I try to do autofocus when you change um, the current page. No, no, no. It was when I opened up a um, dialogue box and I, for whatever reason, couldn't get it to autofocus. I'm sure I'll figure it out, but just, just another nice little uh, thing that you've, yeah, you've added. That's a particular quirk on the dialogue because I know it's the same. If you so I'm not crazy. You're not crazy, no. Oh, no. thank God. You're I thought I was just bad at making apps. I was like, what? Why doesn't this work at all? This is turning into a therapy group. Um, it always know, does. Every episode I host, it's just the last half is just therapy. <laughs> yeah, I think you can probably do it programmatically. That's how I did this one. Mm -hmm. Like when you open the dialogue, use like a reference to yeah. uh, focus that input. But just using the autofocus prop doesn't work. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but my goodness, so great. So, um, you said it up at the top that this is a freemium app. Even so, do users need to have an account with um, datafetcher.io to use it? Yeah, they do. So okay. you can sign up within the app. Um, so I'll just sign out and show that. Um, so when, yeah, when you first install, you get this screen. Um, mm -hmm. So I've kind of pre-filled these with like the ones that datafetcher, uh, sorry, that Airtable exposes, like the yep. name of the email. Then, yeah, you need to kind of create a, create a password verify your email and then come back to the app. Um, the reason for doing that was essentially because people are putting like API keys in, they're putting fairly, well, very secret information. And so mm. I want to store that like not locally, but like on a back end. Because um, Airtable advised that you shouldn't be storing like any kind of secret stuff like in the the store that they give you, like global config. Um, mm -hmm. So it's fine for like, UI stuff, but yeah, people have got their like their Stripe API key. That's a looking bad idea to put it in there. Um, so that's stored instead, like encrypted in data fetcher backend. Um, and to kind of authenticate users against that backend, I get them to create an account. Um, so it's quite a bit of friction. Um, not totally happy with it from like a UX perspective, but like it it does have the the massive advantage of being secure. Uh, I think one thing I might look at is having a way to like play around with an API request without signing up. So you can just try without signing up. And then if you want to save stuff, you want to uh, schedule or anything like that, at that point you get prompted to sign up. Mm -hmm. Okay. One of the major holdups for custom app developers right now is it's a lot of work to make these apps and to make them great and mostly foolproof. So when you release an app to the marketplace, um, despite its name, uh, it there's no real inherent way to make premium apps that people would pay for additional services. Um, for instance, like Data Fetcher, you need a premium account to schedule API requests. So there's there's kind of back and forth in the developer community. We're all coming up with our own 
different solutions for having users sign up for an account with um, the app developer and then um, using that, integrating it into the app to have kind of what we're seeing here now, um, a, a login screen. Um, do, do you use um, a established system for uh, collecting user information? I don't know how best to a- a- ask this question. Um, we've, we've seen people use Gumroad or Outseta or um, License Spring to have users sign up and create accounts in kind of the back end? Um, or did you build your own? Uh, so I use Stripe, um, mm-hmm. the super well-known way to yeah charge people online. I think that was fairly straightforward. I'd used Stripe once before, so it's kind of just the default choice to go to. Yep. Um, and then for subscription stuff like this, like the API is really nice. Um, I think yeah, Gumroad or any of those would work nicely as well. Um, slightly different flow, we'd like, you'd probably put the API key directly or whatever thing that Gumroad gives you like straight into the app. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, so I've basically got the users are stored in authenticated with Firebase or, and then Stripe is basically handled like on my website um, and they fetch a lot IO, like they go through an upgrade flow from yeah. Um And then Stripe gives you the out of the box, like checkout pages. So I'm using those as well um, mm-hmm. rather than building all that myself. Uh, so they give you, both like a checkout flow um, and then a billing management page. I can't remember exactly what it's called, but it's like, it's just an out of the box way for people to like upgrade, downgrade, cancel. Um, so yeah, probably save like a quite a few days of development time just using all the out of the box stuff. Yeah. Um, and that's uh, more or less at the request of Airtable that no payment mm-hmm. processing happens within an Airtable app. So you know, just as a note, if you're going to be building a, a custom app um, and you're going to have premium or, or gated features, if you're asking people to pay for it, it does have to take place like on a separate website. Yeah, I think that's that is definitely one of the challenges at the moment. Um, it's still even when using something like Stripe, it's a lot of stuff to build yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've hinted that they're going to roll out like a billing, um, a way to build people in the apps. But I think they're a long way off. It's probably months years off of that actually being launched yeah it's it's probably not anytime soon which is unfortunate but um you know there are there are examples of people who've successfully built their own solution um like data fetcher that kind of that handles it on its own the one uh not the one one of the drawbacks of that is that you have separate accounts for each custom app that you might have, which might be fine, but you also have to deal with different billing mm. subscriptions and whatnot. If you want, if you're billed to have a custom app in the first place, you need to have a premium workspace on Airtable. So you're being billed from Airtable. And then you're going to have separate bills from each premium custom app that you have, where it would be nice from a customer standpoint if you just get billed for all of your custom apps at the same time in the same invoice as your Airtable bill. Whenever they figure that out, that would be great. Yeah, that'd be really nice. I think I've had it quite easy because it's got a lot of backend components to it. So I'm able to mm-hmm. track usage, like manage customers and stuff like that. But if you built an app of 
that's just front end that's just does some ui thing like that's a lot harder to to gate off Mm -hmm. without yeah without storing like stuff sensitive stuff in the front end um yeah i know there's a couple that do that like the bulk download attachments app you need like a mini extensions uh subscription to do it Mm -hmm. um so i'm not sure how they're they're handling it in the front end but it's definitely possible there's a bunch of different methods and i i wish i knew them all so that I could know them for when I build my apps. Um, but this has been a great demonstration. Um, Data Fetcher is currently available on the marketplace and we'll have a link to your website in the description of this video so that people can sign up for an account um, for themselves and just go wild, it seems, with uh, Data Fetcher. There's so much that you can do with it. Great. Yeah, this has been really interesting. Thanks a lot. No problem. Thanks for watching. If you enjoyed the episode, be sure to give it a like or hit us up on social at Built On Air. We always love to hear your comments and suggestions. And don't forget to subscribe to catch new episodes when they release. It helps us keep the podcast going.